Hey, it's Zach here, and super quick before we dive into the show. If you haven't already, I want to make sure that you have subscribed to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter, because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'll even send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter. All right, on to today's episode. My name is Zach Arnold, and I'm a former Hollywood film and television editor turned career strategist and the creator of Optimize Yourself, where I help artists, creatives, and storytellers just like you design the more balanced, more sustainable, and more fulfilling creative career that you deserve. In a nutshell, I'm Tim Ferriss meets Ted Lasso, minus the mustache, because I am obsessed with both learning everything I can about optimizing human potential while also inspiring you to realize yours. If you are ready to step outside your comfort zone, let's dive right in and unlock the optimized version of you. Hello, and welcome to the Optimize Yourself podcast, where I share honest and candid conversations with best-selling authors, world-class athletes, Hollywood legends, elite experts in a variety of fields, as well as everyday people that are achieving extraordinary things. It means the world to me that with all the podcast choices out there, you have chosen to invest your valuable time, energy, and attention with me. Now, before we get started, don't forget to visit optimizeyourself.me slash podcast so you can subscribe, leave a review, and so you can also download your unique customized podcast playlist where I'm gonna send you the five best expert interviews from our archives to help you achieve your specific goals. So on that note, without further ado, let's get right to today's guest. If you've listened to at least an episode or two in the past, then it's probably no surprise that I pride myself in being a time management ninja. I always say that the great equalizer is we all have the same 24 hours in a day. But as technology advances and the pace of life gets faster, the expectations of what we can accomplish just grows larger. And now with many of us working from home, we are expected to wear the hat of not one, but multiple roles, which if you're in my industry could mean you're an assistant editor, you're the IT person, you're a production assistant on top of everybody else's overloaded duties, and you just happen to be homeschooling your kids and cooking meals, and it is just no wonder that we are exhausted all the flipping time. Well, today's guest has mastered the art of wearing multiple hats in the entertainment industry. Emmy Award-winning editor David Rogers has successfully made the transition from editor to director to producer, all while working on some of the most iconic comedies of our time. His first editing credit came from the famous clip show on Seinfeld, where he was both an assistant editor and the editor. He then went on to edit The Office, which is where he eventually began directing and producing. He has also worked on shows such as News Radio, HBO's The Comeback and Entourage, The Mindy Project, and his latest project that just concluded was Netflix's Space Force. In our conversation, which as a quick disclaimer, was originally from a few years back in the Fitness and Post days when David was still on The Mindy Project, David and I break down his path to success, which just as a quick disclaimer, started with his main job duty being the guy who picked up the cigarette butts. And from there, we dive into what it takes to build and sustain a career like the one he has built. You're gonna find his passion and his energy contagious, and hopefully you're gonna come away with at least a few, if not many tips on how you can pursue your dreams and manage your time like a ninja while doing so. Not to mention learning how to build the right relationships to make the next major step in your career. All right, without further ado, my conversation with editor, director, and producer David Rogers. 
I'm here today with David Rogers, and David Rogers is responsible for one of the defining moments of my later adolescence, which is the Seinfeld clip show. So you're you're going to be you're on the show for a hundred different reasons, but I just wanted to bring that up because that is like one of the quintessential moments that I remember is sitting and watching that and like being in tears and thinking, oh, Seinfeld is over, Green Day, and so anyway, it's it's so cool to have you on the show. So I pre- appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's uh, great to be here. And uh, thank you for uh, appreciating the, the Seinfeld clip show. That was the, the first show that I, I ever got to edit on television. Well, I want to talk a lot about your background and kind of how you got where you are, because your career trajectory is not terribly unusual, but it's somewhat unusual and fairly rare. And you've worked on shows, aside from Seinfeld, you've worked on shows like Andy Richter Controls the Universe, The Comeback, Entourage, The Office for years, and now you're working on The Mindy Project. But I want to talk a little bit about your background to how you got to where you were as an editor first. And then from there, the, the crux of the conversation is really helping people understand how what is life beyond editing because I feel like so many people believe that well you get to the point where you assist for years and years and then you get your break and you become an editor and then you work until retirement and you're done and there are so many other ways to go and you're the perfect example of that but before going down that road let's just kind of start with a little bit of your background and kind of the, the origin story of how you got to Seinfeld and beyond oh the or I love origin stories I'm also a big you know comic book superhero fan so I always love the secret origin of uh, of Batman and Superman and and Spider Man and and uh, every superhero pretty much. But uh, and and actually that that kind of ties in a little bit. Superman's origin ties in a little bit with mine. I was a kid and uh, growing up in New Jersey, and I liked superheroes. And when I was eight years old, I went and saw Superman the movie, and I loved it. I just was blown away by it. And for the first time in my life, though, I noticed, you know, you'd watch cartoons and television shows and movies. But for the first time, I really was like, someone made this like, you know, someone. And there was a team of people. And and how did this come about? And so I started like, you know, doing research and asking questions. And I found out, okay, there was a movie director like that's a job is being a director. And then, you know, you find out about other other aspects, uh, you know, editors and cinematographers and things like that. And I used to, you know, read Starlog magazine and watching the making of Superman, the movie, and then, and then other, you know, making of Star Wars, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. And, and so I got really interested in, in the filmmaking process. So by the time I was about, uh, I guess around 14 years old, I started working with a man in my neighborhood who was a photographer who actually videotaped my bar mitzvah. And the theme of my bar mitzvah, by the way, of course, was Superman. But uh, he started breaking into uh, videotaping bar mitzvahs and weddings. And he's like, oh, you're interested in this kind of stuff. You know, I need someone to work with me. And I was like, great. So I was like his assistant. And pretty quickly I started, you know, doing all the video work. He was concentrating on photography and I was the one who would shoot in the videos. And so we would shoot on VHS. Uh, Eventually we moved up to Super VHS on my downtime, he would lend me his equipment. So I started uh, videotaping and, and making my own little movies. And the first movie I made was was Superman in Marlboro. That's my hometown, Marlboro, New Jersey. So I made Superman in Marlboro. And my father was an editor. 
and he he worked in television. He worked. Uh, he did uh, All My Children. He did he did soap operas. He did One Life to Live. He also did sports. He did Monday Night Football. He would go to the Olympics. Uh, World News Tonight. And I didn't know what he did. I didn't know what he did as an editor. I would go in and visit him sometimes, and I still didn't know what he did because the the way the technology was, I never sat in on an editing session. And it was, you know, back then it was, you know, you used like a CMX 3600, uh, you know, it was like a keyboard. You were just typing in time codes and things like that, and it would control decks. But I, I never knew what he did until I went in with Superman and Marlboro, and we transferred my VHS tapes to one inch video. And then we started putting it together and I loved the process. And I was like, I had no idea that my father, you know, that this was what he actually did. And so I learned this process and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed putting the, the show together, you know, making this movie. So when I was done with that film, more things, and I was still working and videotaping weddings and bar mitzvahs. And then eventually I went off to Ithaca college and I got my degree there in cinema and photography. I was a major of film production. We were shooting on film, so I got to to finally, you know, use real film cameras. And you, I met a community of people that were like-minded like me. These were guys who grew up loving, you know, Star Wars, Superman, uh, Raiders, you know, Spielberg, Lucas. It was just great, you know, meeting other people that would make, you know, that were that love the same kinds of films as you and were interested and passionate about filmmaking. So there I would shoot films. And again, you know, now we're shooting on actual film stock, which is different than shooting video. It's more expensive for one. But one of the things that I really loved was the editing process. Uh, and it was something that I I excelled at, I think because I had some experience uh, in the past working on, on my videos, but just, I loved that part of the process. I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I love directing and I loved, you know, producing, but it's so stressful, you know, on any level, and even on the student film level, you're responsible for, for everything. So, you know, when you're shooting, you know, is this person coming, is this person late? Oh my God, do we have a, are we gonna get the equipment in time? You know, you're, you got 9 million things going on and you really just wanna focus on the, on the art of filmmaking. And when you get to edit, I really felt like a lot of the pressure was gone and it was just me and the footage putting it together and, and being creative. And so I, I graduated from uh, Ithaca, like I said, with my degree. Uh, I moved out to Los Angeles soon after. And from there, I started just various jobs. I was a production assistant on uh, low budget videos, educational videos, music videos. I became a runner for a post house, a trailer house. And uh, I spent a year there just, you know, delivering things, uh, running from, you know, but I got to know the lay of the land and, and just running from studio to studio. What was interesting then was that the, the industry had changed a little bit in that the Avid had just come out not that long before. So even though I knew how to edit on film and video and I felt like, oh, I have some chops, I didn't know how to use this equipment. And I should have taken a class, but I thought, oh, I'll learn on the job. And I did, but it took a little bit longer <laughs> than, than I would have would have hoped at the time. But uh, I ended up after a year, uh, you know, being a driver, I, I started dropping off reels on some of my runs and just contacting other post houses and you know just things. I say, look, I'm an assistant editor. Here's some here's some student things that I cut, and here's some things that I've assisted on, professional things that I've assisted on. 
And next thing you know, someone had called and said, oh, I'm, I'm doing something for the Oscars, a montage, six weeks. And that was it. I left. I worked for him for six weeks. That ended on a Friday. Monday, I was working at an ad agency, doing more assistant work. That would end. Other other jobs would pop up. And then I ended up at a, at a trailer house, you know, doing movie trailers. I was doing sound. And eventually, I started cutting low-budget trailers, like B movies, even C movies. But it was really fun. And that's where I, I spent a year there on the Avid and really, really got to know it well. And it served me well because, it, you know, like I said, uh, I was there for about a year. And then I, at this point, a lot, a lot of my other friends from Ithaca College had come out and they had gotten jobs in the industry. And a friend called and said, hey, the editor of Seinfeld is leaving and she's taking her assistant with her. Uh, we have a new editor coming in. We need a new assistant editor. Are you interested? And I said, I'll be there today. It was two shows. Uh, the, they sh Castle Rock had Seinfeld, and they had another show called The Single Guy, which starred Jonathan Silverman. And they needed a, a, the assistant editor did both shows. So one, uh, Seinfeld was cutting on Avid, and The Single Guy was cutting on Lightworks, or Heavyworks, as they called it, uh, which was the multicam version. And I said, yeah, I'll be there. So I had all my union paperwork ready to go. I had, you know, kept track of all my, my pay stubs and my hours. I had things signed by producers. So I, I met with them. We clicked. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm union and I'm working on Seinfeld and the single guy. And I did, I would load in all the day. I lived at, at the Radford lot because, you know, they, they both shows shot on different nights. I would load in footage. I would organize it. I would, you know, spit out all the cuts. I would laugh the shows, you know, you add extra laughs, especially when there's stuff that you shoot outside where you pre-shoot stuff where there's no audience. I would load in stock shots, assist on, for, on the mixes and the onlines. And it was great. I, I had, you know, such a great group of people. I, I just loved, you know, working with Jerry, uh, my editor, Skip Collector on Seinfeld. Um, uh, Noel Rogers was the editor that I worked with on The Single Guy, and he was fantastic. And they taught me so much in, in cutting comedy. And uh, so I, I was doing that. And then at the end, towards the end of the second year, the clip show came up. And so the plan was, hey, Dave, you know, you'll work with a writer on the clip show, um, you know, spend some time with that. And then originally Skip was going to get it ready for, for broadcast. I uh, said, so great. And so I spent, I, you know, God, it was about six, seven weeks working with Darren Henry, who was the, uh, a writer. He was a writer's assistant turned writer, and no one knew the show better than him. And we just worked, and we would every day we would try new things. It was it was quite the process going through all this footage and, you know, just showing fun stuff, but also getting to edit fun clips and montages. And I got to bring in Superman music. I said, oh, let's do this, you know, because Jerry was such a big Superman fan. They had used Superman music, you know, the John Williams theme from Superman, the movie in one of the episodes. And I thought, oh, this will be a great way to showcase, you know, the, the high production values of the show, like doing a montage of that. And I was able to, you know, get that music in and, and I knew it, I knew it pretty well. So I was able to edit it so that things hit in really good places. And Jerry came in and at first he was like, oh, the Superman theme, is it, are there enough transitions and changes? And I was like, yeah, just watch it. And he loved it. He loved it. And, uh, you know, I had to really prove myself 
with him too, because he was, he came in and, and we, you know, we were very friendly. We both love Superman, but he, you know, this his show is his baby and he doesn't know what I can do as an editor. He knows what I do. I facilitate the editor uh, as an assistant, but uh, it was great that he, he gave me a chance to prove myself and, and that he was happy with, with the results. And so it was really just a, a great experience. I got to work with him, Larry David, uh, Jeff Schaefer and Alec Berg, Andy Ackerman. And by the end, Skip Collector said, Dave, you know, you're, you're doing a great job. I'm so slammed editing the Puerto Rican Day parade and uh, the finale. So this one's all yours. You, you polish it. You get it ready for, for broadcast. And we had worked on, on some of the things we had done for the our rap party reel. And we kind of just given Skip some clips. I had cut some things. He had tweaked some things. And then, uh, you know, especially like with, with an end montage of just being, you know, sent to, sentimental. But it, it wasn't until we got it into the clip show and really got to, to shape it and add the uh, Green Day song, which we, you know, we had, we had gone through a bunch of songs. And, and the Green Day song, we didn't have that in on the rap party reel. And, and so once we got to really, you know, lay that in and, and, and tweak the cut, that last montage like you said, you know, you cry, oh, Seinfeld is over, you know, finding, really pulling footage from all the behind the scenes stuff uh, that that really hit and just was really, really uh, a, a great, I, I think, send off and, a, and a, just a really nice, as Jerry called it, such a great walk down memory lane. Well, and one of the reasons that it's so quintessential to me specifically, other than the fact that Seinfeld is, in my opinion, the funniest and best sitcom ever created in the history of television. But that clip show came out the year that I graduated high school and my high school graduation song was that Green Day song. So it was like converging with all these emotions where like I was losing my adolescence and I was moving from my home and I'm losing Seinfeld. And so it's, it's like just one of those moments in history that really, really stuck with me. So I mean, I know that there are a lot of other people, regardless of what whatever time it may have hit them, that, that it's a very kind of quintessential moment in the, the show and just also in television history as well. And it's a really, really well put together show. And it's so funny that you say that it was kind of, you know, a quasi rap party reel, because that's kind of what it feels like, too, in the best way possible, where, as you know, in TV, a lot of times all the best material is on the rap party reel. And then they ask for like a clips reel or something for the DVD. And you're like, well, we can't really use that one because it's not really safe for the public. But it kind of had that feel. So I love that that's part of the story. Yeah, I mean, we and we did. We pulled some bloopers that made it into the, you know, the clip show. You know, uh, the gag reel for people, you know, at the rap party, you know, you show kind of highlights and, and the bloopers. But we would because this was the final year of the show, the, uh, we we did get a little sentimental. So I was pulling stuff behind the scenes, stuff, pictures and things like that. And, and so we were working on it for the rap reel. And then really, though, got to I, I think we we added the music. We found that song and said, oh, this is this is great. It, it is sentimental, but also there's a certain just even the title. It's like good riddance. It's so it just it just had a nice you know it wasn't too mushy, but it, it it just had a nice real nice feel to it. And then the images, getting to just pick these images and and work with it, 
just really, really ended the, the episode, the, the clip show, really nicely. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And uh, I want to transition to life after Seinfeld and kind of where your career went. That's going to be a big part of the show. But before we do that, I want to stop down real quick because I always like to kind of deconstruct somebody's journey because a lot of times when somebody is at a panel, like, for example, I first met you at the, the Edit Fest panel a little bit earlier this year. And a lot of times when younger people go to these panels, they hear people's stories and they're like, oh, that's great. But this that's never going to happen to me. I'm never going to meet that guy or I'm never going to be in that one place. And I always try to deconstruct somebody's story to the foundation so they can say, oh, well, that I can do. And one of the things that I always say, there, there's really two points that I make. And I've made this in past episodes. I did like a full two hour session about how to kind of break in and shape your career. And I'll put links to episodes 56 and 57. But it, it really comes down to two main things, in my opinion. Number one, you have to be really good at your craft and focus on the process and understand storytelling. But number two, people need to know who you are. And if you have one or the other, it doesn't work. If everybody knows you and your work sucks, you're not going to get work. If you're amazing and you are the best editor in the history of mankind and you do it in a dark room, independent of any other human beings, you're never going to get any work. And you, you really kind of embody that where you did both of those things. My sincerest apologies for the interruption, but if you're a creative professional who spends long hours at your workstation, not only is the following promo not an interruption, but listening has the potential to change your life. Because working with a topo mat underneath you at a height adjustable workstation is a game changer. Let's learn a little bit more from Ergo Driven co-founder and CEO Kit Perkins, creator of the topo mat. The topo mat is the first anti-fatigue mat designed specifically for standing desks. The real benefit of a standing desk is movement. We found bringing in this cushioned terrain under your feet, your brain just subconsciously engages and you wander around and you get that movement at the standing desk that you need without even having to think about it at all. People will come to me at an event or a panel and they'll say, I got the topo mat because of you. Even when they had a mat, once they used this one, it was a total game changer. We've just heard time and time again that with topo, we've kind of hit the sweet spot that it's the right premium quality materials and a right shape that people are actually getting benefit out of this stuff. You spend more time here than anywhere if you do creative work the way that I do. So I would rather be driving around in a Ferrari than a Ford Pinto. And I feel like this is the Ferrari of the standing mat. One of the things you don't realize is that at a standing desk, your main interface to the world, your body's main interface to the world is the ground. If you're going to invest in anything at that Ferrari level, it should be what you're standing on. Well, my goal is that for anybody that is a creative professional like myself, that's stuck in front of a computer for inordinate amounts of time of their waking life. They're doing it standing on a topo mat. So uh, you and I, my friend, one edit station at a time are going to change the world. I like it. That's a utopian vision I can get on board with. If you're a creative professional looking for a simple and affordable way to stay active, energetic, and focused while spending long hours at your height adjustable workstation, I can't stress enough how important it is to have the right mat underneath you, which is why I continue to share the topo mat as my number one product recommendation. To learn more about the topo mat and purchase yours, visit optimizeyourself.me slash topo. That's T-O-P-O. It, it is, it's interesting you put it that way. I guess for me, it was always just about, you know, doing, working hard, being good at the craft. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And just 
you know, keeping up relationships with people. I mean, that like, and that's part of working hard is that they know they can count on you. Even when I worked as a runner at a, at a trailer house, they would work me harder than the other runners because they knew they could count on me. Like I was the guy who, like, you know, all right, Dave will get it done. That's just my work ethic. I mean, I moved out here. I didn't have a job lined up. Like I said, I, I ended up at a, as a PA for a place you know, like on a low budget video and, and just would segue, you know, you'd network and you just cold call. And for me, yes, that, that I, I, you hit it right on the head. Those two things are exactly it. Uh, and I think part of the people knowing who you are, that's part of working hard. And I think also being a good person, uh, because if they can know who you are and if they don't like you, <laughs> you can be the best editor and they'll still be like, oh, I don't know if I want to hire this guy. So you know, I always say like, you have to have a great attitude and love what you do and, you know, really kind of enjoy the work, but also be pleasant in the edit bay. If that, that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody wants to deal with a grumpy editor, right? There are, there are some out there. There are definitely some out there and they've worked, but I think less and less nowadays because producers, they get tired of it. They don't want to hear someone saying, no, can't do that. Or cuts only. I don't do these, you know, so well, and, and and it's a buyer's market too. I mean, there are just so many people that are trying to find editing work that also have the skills because the because technology has democratized the ability to have access to learning how to do these things. Whereas thirty years ago, just being able to learn how to do it was almost impossible. Now anybody can. And I talk about that also. Like it's amazing now. What you know, Avid was incredible, and when Final Cut Pro came out, and you could you could do that on your laptop. It was like, oh, my God, you can do professional level things on your laptop. I, I, I grew up, you know, editing VHS tapes and I was thrilled once they got flying a race head. So I didn't have those chroma lines in between every edit. Oh, yeah. If you remember. No, I, I started VHS to VHS as well. That, that was my first five years of learning how to cut was two VHS decks in my basement. So I've, I was there. Well, before we move forwards, the one last question that I like to ask is we've heard kind of all the connections and all the, oh, I got this job and this job and this job. But was there a period somewhere in there where you weren't successful and you were thinking, oh, my God, am I ever going to find work? Like, I can't pay the bills. Like, I had this long string of unemployment because so seldom do you actually hear that part of an origin story. And I love to hear that part because then other people think, oh, wait, he went through a bunch of crap, too, before he hit it. Like, I had a period of almost five years years where that happened to me. So do you have kind of that that unspoken section of uh, the origin story that uh, might not be the all the connections and everything working out perfectly? Not really. Um, <laughs> I mean, I got like, well, then I'm just going to have to stop the show now. Come on. <laughs> well, I, I mean, look, when I like I said, when I first got out here, it's like I came out here. I, I came out here with two friends. One became an editor. Another one became an executive on networks, on television networks. But, but I crashed, like another guy from high school, we crashed on his floor the first night we were here. Craig Mazin, who's a writer, you know, very successful writer, did The Hangover 2, 3, Identity Thief, uh, you know. And, you know, he was starting out. He was working at an ad agency at the time doing, uh, doing trailer copy and things like that. And so we crashed on his floor. And my mom knew a guy who knew a woman or someone. You know, it was like just... I made a call, you know, hey, I'm I'm looking for PA work and and that was it. I got PA work. And the PA work was great, but it was stressful when, you know, the gig would end, you were hustling to try to find your next job. And then th that's why I eventually became a runner at a post house. I was like, look, I want to get into post. 
And I, I can't, you know, the stress when you're not working, especially when you, you don't have a, a ton of money uh, in the bank, it's tough. That's, that's really tough. So I was also working, you know, after that, when I think when I first started out, you know, trying to, to be an assistant editor, I think that there were periods, I mean, I know at one point I was, I, I was out here, I think it was while I was a runner or maybe even before I was a runner, I worked at a, an Italian restaurant. I was a host at Viva La Pasta for a short period of time. And I also, Fridays, I would, when I was a runner at this, at this trailer house, on Fridays, I would intern at Silver Pictures. And it was just a free internship, but I, I loved Die Hard. I loved the Lethal Weapon movies, loved Xanadu, which was all, you know, under Joel Silver. So I would go there and I would just photocopy the scripts for the weekend read, whatever, whatever stuff they needed, get coffees, whatever. Once I left being a trailer, uh, you know, runner and assistant editing, you know, apprentice editing, assistant editing, I stayed pretty consistent working. And if there were periods where I didn't have some work, if there was a month where I was down, I was usually doing freebies. I was editing someone's reel. I, I started putting ads in uh, like backstage. So I would, I would edit people's reels. I would just be, you know, doing whatever I could to work. I, I and I did, did plenty of freebies where I, you know, I edited a low budget feature for someone and we would edit late at night because then I, I did start working again. And so I would work during the day, I would sleep for a few hours and then I would pick up the director at, at midnight and we would edit till six in the morning. But I, I personally did not have long periods of time where, where I wasn't working. And once I got on, you know, once Seinfeld ended, I mean, that's, that's you know, the story, that's really the beginning of, of the story for me. Because, you know, as, as an editor, because, you know, once, once that ended, so we, we went to a show called News Radio, which was a great show. Uh, Skip Collector had done the uh, syndication cuts for the show the, the summer before, uh, that's when they would, you know, we would take out like 30 seconds to a minute of every episode. So they would run in syndication and I would load all the things in again, as an assistant editor, I would get the stuff into the system and get it out and whatever else you needed. I got to watch all these episodes and I was like, oh my God, this show is incredible. And when Jerry announced that we weren't going to come back, I said to Skip, I said, is there any chance we can get news radio? And he's like, nah, you know, they have an editor, they're all set, but they wanted to make a change and they contacted Skip. And so we, we went to news radio. And at that point, Skip knew that I, I could sit in the chair so he could go off and direct. He could edit a pilot. And I edited, uh, you know, a bunch of episodes that season. I, and I would assist myself. So I would I would I was the assistant editor. I would load the stuff in, cut it and spit it out. I met great people there. Great. You know, just another great crew. Uh, so uh, other people from Seinfeld came over. And then after that, you know, I was working on, on other shows. I was assisting and cutting. And then uh, I said, you know, I got to stop assisting. Like, basically, you, you have to make that decision. Like, when you have a, a decent amount of credits under your belt, you have to say, all right, I have to let people know I'm, I'm around to edit. And even if it's just getting on more shows as, like, a fill-in guy, you know, it's hard sometimes to say, no, I'm, I'm going to turn down work. But, but that's what I did. And luckily... Andy Richter controls the universe. I had assisted on the pilot. It went to series and between Skip and, and Andy Ackerman, who was an executive producer, they had enough faith in me to be the, the second editor. And Andy Ackerman, by the way, who, you know, he directed half of the Seinfelds. He came from editing. He was, he worked on Cheers. He worked on WKRP in Cincinnati. He started, I think, as an assistant editor on Welcome Back, Cotter. He, he worked on Wings uh, as a director. So, you know, he's someone 
who, who came from editing. So I, I also saw like, okay, I can eventually get there if I, if I work hard enough. And did Andy Richter controls the universe. And that was great. It was single camera. So it was different than multi-camera. And I thought the stuff was just so, so funny. I mean, Victor Fresco was the other executive producer writer. And again, it was just a great, great crew, great cast. And from there, you know, that ended, I did a, a few other shows. One was called the O'Keefe's. Mark O'Keefe was a writer on, on news radio. His brother, Danny O'Keefe was a writer on Seinfeld. And just as a little, little tidbit of information, they, uh, they were homeschooled. The O'Keefe's were, were, was based on Mark's real life. They were homeschooled, and their family celebrated Festivus. That's where it came from, was their actual, uh, you know, the Seinfeld holiday of uh, Festivus for the rest of us came from their actual family. All right, well, learning that has just become the absolute highlight of my entire month. Like, just knowing the actual real origin of Festivus just capped it all off. If I learn nothing from this show except that, totally worth it. That's amazing. So I know we're kind of transitioning into where you're going. I want to really get into the office and your transition there. But the, I kind of want to close the loop on this idea of kind of the the struggles that you went through. And I think it's really, really funny that you're like, no, I – it just, no, it all worked out great. But you're saying, well, I slept on a guy's floor and I was a hostess at an Italian restaurant and I ran around set as a PA and I was cutting shorts and features for free. Like, I love hearing all that because nowadays people think you shouldn't have to do all that to become an editor. Well, yeah, listen, I always say like, I, I paid my dues. I didn't have long periods of unemployment when I was an assistant editor or editor. Like that's, that's all that I was saying. When, when I first came out here, I was PA. I did not know how to use the Avid. It's weird. You come from directing and editing your own things to next thing you know, you're scraping up a fake floor that they laid down on a soundstage because you're striking a set. And you're like, how did, you know, how did this become my life? <laughs> but I, I picked up cigarette butts in a, in a parking lot that the crew left when we were shooting on location. Uh so I definitely, you know, paid my bills. And like I said, I, I had periods of, of unemployment then, you know, it, it's definitely a struggle. And yeah, so I was a host at an Italian restaurant. I knew a bunch of people there. My roommate was a waiter, a bunch of other people, you know, that I'm still friendly with worked at this restaurant. And you have to pay your dues, even as a, as a PA, I would just, you know, you just hustle and you just got to have that good attitude. And, and one thing that they told me that makes so much sense, but I feel like some PAs don't know it. It's like, write everything down. So when they tell you, hey, I need you to get this, this and this, don't try to just remember it in your head. Write it down because you will forget one of those things. And when you come back and you don't have one of those things, you're like, ah, oh, I'm so sorry. But that doesn't cut it. Like you need to not make mistakes or make as few mistakes and make them tiny, <laughs> if any. But yes, I definitely, I came out here with, with nothing. I, yeah, I mean, I, I crashed on, I had a car. I think I had a few thousand dollars. I crashed on a friend's floor. The next morning, I saw a for rent sign across the street. And I ended up living there for 13 years. So that's that was how, I, you know, things things for me started out. Here. Yeah, and I think it's, it's just really important for especially younger people to hear that because if they're, if somebody listening right now is saying, I really want to be the editor of the next great American sitcom, but right now I'm at Starbucks and they're thinking I have failed. It's like, no, you haven't failed. That's just the learning process. And there's this great acronym that I learned recently. It's called FAIL, which is your first attempt in learning. This is just part of the learning process. Failure is just the steps that you take towards success. So I I really try to encourage people to think, oh my God, I'm picking up cigarette butts at two o'clock in the morning on a set and I really want to be cutting. That's 
can be part of the process and move you forward. So I, I really try to encourage people and not have them feel so discouraged if they are in that position right now. So well, I, I, I just want to say yeah, one thing also was when I worked at this trailer house, like because people liked me because I worked hard, they in turn, the editors would say, yeah, let's go over the Abbott. Like they would take time and, and teach me things. So it just benefit myself also to, to just, you know, be, be myself, work hard. But you, in in turn, if you if you do work hard, you will get, you will make progress. So I learned the Abbott. I went through the the basic tutorial, and at least I had enough knowledge from there to get my next gig and learn more. And and like I said, when I worked at this one one trailer house, finally as an, as a sound editor and then an editor, I spent a year really really getting to learn learn the equipment, and and that served me. By the time I got to Seinfeld, I was. I knew it front, frontwards and backwards. The only thing I didn't know was multicam, and I spent a, you know an hour at Avid, and they say, yeah, this is what you do. And and I had other assistant editors that would show me, and they would they would give me tech support, and I, and I've I've returned the favor. I've had people who've called me, hey, how do I do this? How do I you know how do I add a resize on this layer, but I don't want it to affect the layer underneath, you know, things like that. I'm like, all right, you got an option copy it put it on here you know so i think everybody you know helps everybody and when we get into the office i'll i'll tell you you know again it was networking and people that i had worked with from the past who had had come back to say hey we want to work with dave again yeah and that's exactly where i want to go now is the first half of the show is really all about your origin story what you went through to become an editor and work on these giant quintessential American comedies. But now I'm really intrigued as to how you went from the next level, which is editing these shows to transitioning to both directing and executive producing, because a lot of people feel like once they get into editing, once they are the editor first chair on a show, that's kind of it. But there are a lot of other opportunities. So let's kind of talk about the transition into that part of your career. I was actually editing, like I said, I'd edited a bunch of shows, you know, the O'Keefe's. I did another show called The Mullet's for uh, UPN. And then uh, I got a call from Morgan Sackett, who had originally hired me, one of the guys who had hired me on uh, Seinfeld and the single guy. He, he was a guy who, who started as a, as a PA on Seinfeld, has become a, a successful executive producer, working on Parks and Recreation, Veep, uh, numerous things. But uh, Morgan at the time had called me and said, hey, we're going to put Seinfeld out on DVD. I want you to cut all the extras. I said, great. So we worked, uh, you know, doing the the Seinfeld DVDs, making a documentary, making inside looks on everything. And I was very content. I, Darren Henry, who I had worked with, uh, had come back to help shape these. So we, we were we were doing, you know, brand new interviews, uh, brand, you know, just shot a ton of stuff and, uh, you know, putting this all together. And then uh, producer Ken Sabornak from uh, News Radio called and said, hey, I got a show I want you to uh, take a look at. I think you'd be a great fit with the executive producer. So it was a pilot called The Office. And I watched the pilot and I said, I'm, I'm going to go do this show. <laughs> and I met with Greg Daniels and we just hit it off. We talked about Star Trek and Battlestar Galactica. I said, Dwight, you know, I watched the pilot. I said, Dwight... Star Trek is too cool for Dwight. Like he should have such a niche thing that he likes Battlestar Galactica, the original Battlestar Galactica. This was before the the new show had come out and become a hit. And we just got along great. And so I, that was it. I I came on board. I edited the first season of The Office. I, we did six episodes. So I I the pilot was cut. I think I tweaked it very slightly just to to get it uh, for broadcast. And the first episode I cut and, and showed up on, on the first day of shooting was Diversity Day. Ken Quapis was directing. 
And we were just a little show. And so we did the first season. We did six episodes. We came back. We got picked up for another six episodes. And we just started to like find our find our groove. So then we got picked up for another seven. We were, you know, 13 episodes. So we brought in a, a second ad- editor because I, I was cutting, especially the second season, I had cut the first six by myself. And I was like, if we do more, we need to get a second editor in here. So uh, Dean Holland came on board and joined us. And then we ended up getting picked up for the whole season. And then next thing you know, uh, Dean and I got nominated for episodes that we had cut. And the show won uh, the Emmy for Best Comedy, Outstanding Comedy. And so that was really exciting for season two. And we had gotten picked up for more more episodes. Um, and then, it, you know, in the season three, we, we decided instead of us being cutting separate episodes and, and submitting those for the Emmys, we had each cut to get together. We cut the finale and we got nominated for an Emmy and we won. And that was that was really exciting. Uh, Rain Wilson got to present and, uh, you know, he, he yelled out our names. And, and that was really exciting that we got to, you know, win the Emmy. And but I said something even on stage. I remember something to the to the degree of like, this is really nice, but the work is the real reward because I love doing the show. I mean, we had so, it was such a great group of people. And, uh, you know, in behind the scenes, you know, in front of the camera, behind the camera, just, you know, we really were like a family. Greg Daniels was just so smart, so smart and so generous. And uh, just, you know, everybody's just really great to work with these people. Steve Carell. Oh, my God. I mean, just just amazing people. So I had uh, told Greg, you know, I, I started planting the seed very early on, like, hey, I want to direct. And I had showed him some of my student work and he said, yeah, I think you'd be great at it. So that was always there. And at the end of each season, I would say, Greg, I want to direct. I want to direct. He's like, OK, OK. Finally, at, at the end of season three, I said, Greg, I really want to direct because we had had some directors that had come in. And I felt like we had done a lot of cleanup in, in post to make episodes look good. Not I'm not trying to I, I know how tough directing is now. So I don't think like that these were these were terrible directors or anything like that. But I, I felt like our show, it was kind of that style at the time of the, the mockumentary style was, was new. And, you know, this kind of, as we called it, this tofu hot dog, because it is scripted, but you want to make it look like we're, we're just capturing stuff. So some things were, were tricky and, and to, you know, make it funny. But uh, I said, Greg, I really want to direct. I really want to direct. And so he's like, OK. And so he announced he sent an email that summer to the cast saying, you know, hey, this is what we've got going on. This is who's who's coming on to direct. And we have people from the family stepping up. And he had named me in this email. And I was so excited. And season, so I was going to get an episode in season four. And I was nervous and anxious. And then the writer's strike hit. And I was like, oh, no. But uh, and, and then we were out of work for like three months. And then once we got back, you know, the line producer said to me, like, hey, I don't know exactly what promises were made. And I said, listen, we all just want to get back to work. I'll, I'll get an episode in season five. It's fine. And then sure enough, season five came and I got my first episode to direct. And it was uh, employee transfer. I think it was the sixth episode. It's a uh, Michael breaks up with Holly and he, there was a lot going on in this episode actually. So it was, uh, it was Michael, Daryl and Holly drive to New Hampshire or Vermont to, uh, to break up. She's moving, you know, she's going there. He wasn't planning on breaking up with her, but he realizes like that they're just going to be too far away. It's not going to work. And so I had a lot of comedy, but also a lot of emotional stuff. And a lot of it took place in a truck and it was like 112 degrees when we were shooting this. 
And the other storylines that I had in that episode was Jim and Pam go to go to lunch and they we meet Jim's brothers for the first time. And Pam wants to pull a prank on Jim and it kind of backfires on her. And then the, the third story was that Dwight decides to come in dressed and dressed all in Cornell gear. And he's going to apply to Cordell, which just infuriates Andy, who's dating Angela, who Dwight still loves. And so, you know, just had a lot of fun with that storyline. But it was it was intense. I mean, you jump into the deep end of the pool the, or, or the lake, however, you know, and it's dark. I mean, like you, you don't it's there's no there's nothing like it. But again, it's like anything. You, there's always a first time. So I did it. My episode, I got to edit my own episode. It turned out well. And, and from there, I got to direct more episodes. And Greg also had such a trust with me in editing that I would oversee. Uh, you know, Dean had left to go to Parks and Rec with Mike Schur. So we had brought in new editors. Claire Scanlon joined us. And uh, Stu Bass had, had come in for a, a little while. He had helped out in season one. So he came back for a little while. And from there, uh, Claire and I, we we kind of finished the series, but I we would uh, we would help each other, and I, I kind of oversaw post, and I became an associate producer and eventually a producer, and by the end I was a co executive producer on the show, and I had directed I think nine episodes, including the penultimate one, Arm, which aired right before the the series finale, so it was really just a, a great rewarding experience, and it came from a sense of trust and friendship. I really believe just, you know, Greg Daniels, we had a great friendship and, and he trusted me and he, he would, you know, eventually there were times where he was like, listen, I'm slammed with this. You do the network cut. So I would work with other editors and get their cuts into shape for, for the network cut. Cause I knew what his sensibilities were. And he knew early on, like Dave gets what's funny. He doesn't, and he doesn't mince, he's nice, but he doesn't mince words. If I don't like something, if I think something's boring, I would tell him I just was honest, but in a kind way. So, you know, we had a nice shorthand together. And, and also we just shared a lot of the same sensibilities when it came to the show. We were like we were a great team and and I got to just do more than just edit on the show. By the end, I mean, I was still editing. I loved editing, but, but getting to direct, getting to fill in stuff. If we needed something reshot, a talking head, often I was the guy who would just go to set to get it because I knew what we needed. And. I would work with the other editors. Claire was fantastic. We had we had great assistant editors doing stuff, and they would get to cut. I I, I was you know a firm believer in, in giving people opportunities to cut scenes to help with help them with their scenes, get them better, and to get them up and cutting. And that that's how it is now. My one of my assistant editors, Rob Burnett, is now a full you know he cut multiple episodes on The Office by the end, and he's an editor with me now on the Mindy Project. Another editor, Hurtis. Curtis is on Fargo right now, and he was just nominated for an Emmy. So these are guys who have, you know, got got opportunities to cut on the show, and and from there, they got confidence and more skills, and and they went on to to edit themselves, just like I was mentored when when I started out. I have spent almost ten years now raving about how much I love my topo mat, and I have finally discovered what I now consider the topo mat of desk chairs, the Core Three Sixty. The Core 360, spelled Q-O-R, is designed to keep me constantly moving while seated in an upright and balanced position. To learn more about how it works, let's hear from Core 360 founder, Dr. Turner Osler, about why he created the Core 360 active sitting chair. When you sit badly, you sit badly for 
for many hours a day. And that's really what the problem is. It's very hard to make yourself get up and do jumping jacks every half hour. But if you just swap to a chair that requires you to be muscularly engaged in order not to fall off, it's an easy bar to clear. For the procrastinators out there who hear all of the statistics and know how bad sitting is and it's the new smoking and they're thinking, that's something I'll worry about in a few decades, you're gonna feel the effects of having more energy at two o'clock in the afternoon or four o'clock in the afternoon that day. And that's the whole point. Your core muscles will be stronger. You'll have less back pain. All of this will make you more available for the rest of the pursuits of your life, your kids, your hobbies, your whatever. For those of us who need to practically live in front of computers to do our best creative work, the Core 360 is going to level up your game. Keep your body moving and keep the creativity flowing. To learn more and purchase what I consider to be the topo mat of desk chairs, please go to optimizeyourself.me slash core360. That's optimizeyourself.me slash QOR360. Yeah, and a couple of keys that I want to pull out of this section of the story, the first one kind of going back a little bit, which I think is so absolutely crucial to wherever you want to transition to next, is you just decided one day that I'm not an assistant anymore. And that's scary, but I need to start turning down assistant work and make the world very clear that I am an editor now. That is terrifying for some people to think, well, I, but I just want to keep getting the work. And if I say no, they're not going to like me. They're not going to call me back. But you have to put that out into the world and you have to re-identify yourself. And I love that you did that. And then the second thing that I want to pull out of this that I think is so important is that you were doing an amazing job as an editor, but you just kept poking and prodding and saying, hey guys, I want to direct. Hey guys, I want to direct. Hey guys, over here, remember me? I want to direct. And you're not doing it in, you know, in, a, in an annoying way, but at the same time, you're making it very clear. This is what I want to put out there next, and this is where I want to go. And that, along with patience, is what got you to where you are. Yes. I felt like, especially at the time, with, with directing, I had, like I said, I had directed my own shorts. I had stuff from college. So they, Greg saw what I could do, and I would help him. He was just starting out as a director on season one. He'd never directed anything before. So he said, oh, I want you on set with me to help with continuity and just if I'm missing something. And I even designed a few shots on the basketball episode. I said, oh, let's do this. Have the camera here and do this. And, you know, and, and a lot of times he's back, he was back by the monitors, and he's like, you call cut when you think we've got it. So it was, it was a great experience for me to be on set. And what was really nice also, I, I should say, is that our edit bays were right near the set. You know the crew, you know the cast because you're there. It's, it's different, I think, if you're editing a show that's shooting farther away or all on location where you only meet the crew and the, and the cast at the, at the rap party. It's different when you're part of the same in the same space and you see everybody and you're there at the table reads and they know you and they, they know to trust you. Like they appreciated what we did as editors because they knew we, we didn't let them down. We, we would find their best stuff. We would build it. Whatever creative things we needed to do to make everybody look good and to, and to keep their best performances in, that's what we would do. So like even Greg had asked me, he's like, what have you done to get their trust? And I was like, they see what I do in the edit bay. They see that I know what their best stuff is and that's what I want to go and, and get on the set. And he was like, okay. I mean, that, that, that was it. I, I got a really nice... You know, when I when I directed Arm, which was the penultimate episode, we we finished the last day of shooting. I shot emotional stuff with uh, Jenna Fisher and John Krasinski. You know, John wrapped, and we had a couple more shots with Jenna. And about a half hour later, I got a really nice email from John, 
just thanking me for everything that I had done on the show. And he was so happy that I, you know, that I got to direct this episode. He's like, you know, it just, and he just said like, you know, you're, you're the most vital of souls to the show. Thank you. Thank you. And it was just so touching and sweet. And I, I think the cast knew, like I adored them. I mean, I loved this cast, loved them. And I love their characters. I used to I used to call people by their characters, especially the writers like Mindy and, and BJ. I would call them Kelly and Ryan or Temp or Fire Guy and Paul, Toby. I would call him Toblerone. I had nicknames for everybody, Tobias. Like I just I loved that. I, you know, calling people by their their character names. I, I was just, you know, really, really just loved the, the world of the show. But it, it, again, it was just so nice, like John just being appreciated and and being recognized for what I contributed to the show as as an editor and as a director was just really really touching and and you know I just cherish that. Well, I could easily do an entire part 2 of this episode just talking about the office cuz I'm a gigantic geek of the office absolutely love if it. If you want to do it, I'll come back. You you say the word, man. I I, I certainly could. Um it, it doesn't quite fit into the the mold of the the show that I have, but I could certainly do that. But now what I want to geek out on for the last little bit that I have you cuz I want to be respectful of your time is I want to understand the process and this is really just me being selfish and having you on just for me if the audience gets something out of this great by the way i'm a huge fan i mean some of your credits burn notice is a show that i'm like oh my god look how stylistic this is it's so good uh and we both know matt nix another another brilliant writer producer i was watching the show because i you know i knew him and i was like oh matt's got a new show and i was just blown away i mean season one what you guys did but all right that's that's a whole other conversation but uh, again i'm so impressed with with the work you were doing even just like oh let's speed up stock shots let's slow them down let's go bright let's do this and you know, I, I just loved what you did and, and stylistically just the pacing of that show and the action in it, uh, that you got. You know, each episode was like a feature film. Well, cool. I, I appreciate that. And uh, we'll we'll throw the, the credit to, to Casey and Steve as well, because, you know, obviously we were an editorial team. So I don't want anybody listening thinking that I did it all because I certainly didn't. But I was a part of it. And that was kind of, you know, one of those those quintessential shows in my career that no matter what I do, I'm always going to look back fondly on the four years at Burn Notice and just kind of it's because it's like working with a family. You know, it's kind of like the world that you had. But um, where I really want to pick your brain now is under understanding how to time manage your day if you are both editing, directing, and executive producing other shows. Because I've, I'm kind of in that transitional period right now where you would say, I am done assisting. I want to be an editor. And I'm now starting to put myself out into the world saying, I want to be a part of the producing team, overseeing things, and not just editing anymore. But I'm still trying to figure out how do you time manage your day, even if you're not directing, just how you're managing all the episodes at once and cutting. But I don't even, I can't even be begin to understand how you're directing and cutting the same episode. And like my dream is getting Louis CK to, to answer the same question someday, but I just don't, I don't understand how you do that on a TV broadcast schedule. Well, I mean, I'll, t I'll tell you like this, this kind of goes back to even when you said, you know, making the, the jump from assistant to editor, it's about taking risks. Like I didn't not marry, didn't have, don't have kids. So I was able to say no to jobs because I was just supporting myself. Like I didn't feel like, oh my God, I'm supporting a whole family. I, I can't turn down work. And, you know, you can, but it, it is hard. Like there are sacrifices that you can make and things like that. But of course it's, it's not easy. 
the same thing with this. It's like to say, hey, I want to, I want to edit. I want to, you know, I can do more. I can produce other editors, and I can direct. It's just, it, it does take a lot of time. But my, my boss right now is a perfect example. Mindy Kaling, you know, I work on the Mindy Project. Mindy is a writer. She's the showrunner. She is in post. She's an actress. She does amazing publicity. And so she wears all these hats, and yet she makes the time to do it. She doesn't have a lot of free time, you know, to do other things, especially when we're in production. Even Jerry Seinfeld, he was running the show the last two years. He would call the, the production. He would say, like, it's a submarine. Like, we're going under for, uh, you know, seven months, eight months. You know, maybe you pop up for uh, Christmas break and then you go back down again. But for me, it is, it's just like, I'm always, my, my cell is always on. Like, if people need to text me or get in touch with me, I'm available. The show, you know, my work is my priority. You know, I, I go into work, I edit, I come home. Uh, you know, a lot of times I'll edit, I, I can bring stuff at home and work. So I'll edit at night, I'll edit early in the morning. I, you know, sometimes my, my sleep schedule is such that I'll, I'll nap in the afternoon for an hour and then I'm good to go. You know, come 5 a.m., I wake up and I'll edit for from 5 to 8. And then take another nap, you know, from eight to 10. And then I get up, edit some more, go to work. So, you know, the hours are there and I'll, I'll work weekends if I need to. I, I don't mind, I, you know, especially like when you work on shows that you love, it makes it easier when the, when the quality is there. I mean, it, it totally, you know, makes it easier. Like I, I get an idea. I'm like, oh, I, I can't wait to try this out. Even today, I have to cut down a show that I directed and edited. And I'm excited to think about, OK, I got to take, you know, two minutes out. What, you know, just coming up with ideas in my head like, oh, I, I can't wait to look at it. I'll, I'll do this and maybe I'll try that. So there's there's definitely a passion with it. That I, I wouldn't say it's like an obsession, but it's definitely there's you know I do enjoy the work. It is a it is a reward getting to work on on these kind of things and being creative and editing, all all aspects editing, directing and and producing other editors is so, are so much fun. We had an episode where Mindy said you know hey can you take a look at the other editors' work, uh, you know because I think the show is good but it's not quite there yet to send to to the network and I said yeah I'd love to like that's what what I want to do as a producer, you know, the, the main reason why I came to, to Mindy's show was because a, I, I, you know, I watched season one while I was still on the office. I loved it. And number two, I was like, I'll make your life easier. Like she just was working so much and, and being so heavily having to come to post where it was like, I knew her sensibilities. I said, I, I'll get in there. Rob will come with me. We'll make your life easier. And, and we have, like, we've just, you know, a lot of the communication, she could just give us notes She'll come in when she needs to, but it's it's just a lot faster. It's a lot smoother for her. So when I work on on things, though, and I, I am like I said, you know, I'm, I'm editing a show that I that I directed. You know, when I go into direct, it's like I got to make sure whatever I'm cutting is taken care of before. So I I just work. You know, they try to schedule me as a director to not impede on on post too much. So I, I take care of whatever I, you know, I, this also because I'm like a staff person, they can move me around. I ended up directing the, you know, we, we started shooting the end of July. I, I directed the, the second episode. It was spread out over a few weeks because of, of cross-boarding uh, actor availability. And no one cuts it until I, you know, whereas on a regular show with a regular editor, you start, you know, the director directs and the next day footage comes in. Mine basically just sits there. My assistant organizes it and I jump on it as soon as I'm done directing. And so it takes me, you know, I'm a little behind, but you're also getting the editor's assembly and the director's cut all in one. 
so that speeds things up. And because I because I directed, I know the footage so well. My cuts tend to turn out pretty well, uh, you know, in really good shape. And you know, then Mindy puts, you know, she gets involved and gives me her notes and her thoughts. And and you know, the, a lot of times the process is super smooth. Going to the network, getting their notes, and you know, next thing you know, we're we're locking and on the air. You pretty much answered my my final question, which was I was trying to understand just from the day to day perspective as an editor, you're getting the footage that they shot the day before, or even sometimes that morning if they're you know, breaking at lunch, getting the footage, transferring it, you're getting it that evening. So I'm thinking, well, what in the world is happening with yours? And you answer that, which is that it basically just sits. So that was that. that so basically what they've done is they've just extended the uh, the delivery schedule a little bit for an episode by a day to three, just knowing that your footage is going to sit. Yeah. I mean, I mean, sometimes my assistant will cut some scenes for me uh, or another editor will jump on stuff. But generally I end up recutting or I just like to to cut my stuff. So I'm, I'm fast enough that when it when it is finished, when we are finished shooting and I have all the dailies like that, I can just jump in and 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 cruise through it. And again, some scenes, even when you're directing, you, they're tough. They're tough to put together. And I have to fix my own mistakes. Like, I can't believe I missed that shot. And, you know, what creative thing can I come up with to to fix it? But, yeah, I mean, it's it's like you you see your schedule, you know, OK, I mean. They, they rarely put me in a situation where, okay, you need to finish shooting this and it's going to go to air the week after. But if it does happen, you know, there will be like, if, if I do have to have another editor cutting it and then I'll come in and just do my director's cut and recut, you know, what I need to, to, to make myself happy, then, then I'll do that. But generally there's enough time where I, I won't start editing it really until I'm finished directing. Okay. Well, that, that definitely answers that question for me. So I want to be very, very respectful of your time and I want to let you go and just thank you for just shedding tons and tons of amazing knowledge for both me and my audience. But I just wanted to see if I can get like one last super, super quick answer. And that is if somebody comes up to you and I'm sure they've done this many, many times and they just say, you know, what, what's the one little piece of advice, the first action step that I can take if I want to break in and I want to build a career that you have, what kind of what's, what's your answer that you would give them? I mean, there's no easy answer, but I, I tell people like you gotta, it's kind of like what you said, you have to work hard, get your craft down. You need to practice, 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 and then you just need to be persistent. You need to get out there. You need to cold call. You need to network with anybody that you know. You need to get in someplace. So even if you're a post-PA, like I said, I mean, I did PA work. I was a runner. Get in someplace as a post-PA. Because if you're a post-PA and, you know, we need something, hey, can you look for stock shots? Can you do this? Can you, you know, the opportunities are there. And especially, like, I've had plenty of post-PAs that have gone on to edit because I see what they can do and we give them opportunities and they, they start shooting stuff for the gag reel. And then they start, you know, they'll go elsewhere. We'll, we'll help set them up at least and say, Hey, talk to this place. This is a non-union place. You'll get your hours to join the union. Cause if you join the union, we can hire you as an assistant editor here. I just tell people work hard, be nice and learn, learn your craft get become excellent at it could could not have said any of it better um i very very much appreciate your time um if i wanted to send my audience to be able to learn more about you where can i send them to they can they can go to david evan rogers.com if uh, they want to just see i have i think my reel is up there and i have some some other uh press things and appearances and i've done some q and a's 
for uh, office tally and things like that. So there, there's some some good information up there. DavidEvanRogers.com. Oh, this has been a tremendous pleasure. I thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Zach. This was this was really great, and I am ha- I'm happy to come back. I, I had such a blast. Anytime, uh, you know, you want to come back, talk about stuff, love to. Awesome. Well, I'm definitely going to take you up on that. All right. Take care. Thank you so much for investing both your time and energy listening to today's show. If you were inspired by this conversation, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app of choice and most importantly, leave a review because that helps move the show to the top of iTunes and get our message out there to those who need it the most. Simply visit optimizeyourself.me slash subscribe to never miss another episode. Lastly, stay safe, healthy, sane, and most importantly, be well. One last thing before I lose you. If you haven't already, I wanna make sure that you subscribe to my free weekly Case of the Mondays newsletter because it is where I share my best advice, strategies, and mindsets to help you design a creative career that you absolutely love showing up for every Monday morning. When you sign up, I'm even gonna send you a bonus five-day email course to help you clarify and prioritize the next small steps in your unique path to success. To sign up, just visit optimizeyourself.me slash newsletter, and I will see you in your inbox.